Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see everyone here on this weekend. Nice and crisp out there. It feels great. How many glad to see fall really here? Really here? Good fall, people. That's right. Oh, it's a great time together. Uh, we want to take a moment to make sure that we welcome everybody into the room. And uh, here at the 945, we've got a great bunch over in the video venue. Would you welcome them along with me right now? Glad those folks are, are here. Over the, uh, they're, they're with us right now. Well, we continue in our series, Nathan's Catching His Breath, after a great week of a conference that a lot of our staff got to be able to be a part of this last week. And he's catching his breath this weekend. He'll be back next weekend. But I get a chance to kind of encourage you as we continue in this series on shoes and how Jesus, in his encounters with other people, began to understand how, how they felt. He knew already, but he just comes close enough to them to allow them to engage in a relationship, give them what they need, give them a new pair of shoes, and, and kind of send them on their way. So I, I really uh, uh, loved all the stories of the encounters with Jesus. And I also want to mention that this particular weekend, as we come to a, a little bit of a transitional point in the series, is an invitation weekend. So at the end of the series, we'll have an invitation song giving you an opportunity if you need to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you in a, in a way that you can come down forward on the sides. There'll be some people there that would love to talk with you, pray with you. And, and we got towels, we got trunks, we got time, we've got everything and uh, uh, to be able to be baptized if that's where you are in your relationship. And, and this weekend we want to, as we do that invitation at the end, we want to make sure as we get to that point, you understand what that whole message is about. And, and that message of what Jesus did for us is really seen in a bit of a contrast, as you'll see with these two people. Uh, one is Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who was a ruler, who appeared very religious. And another gal uh, in John chapter 4, John 3, then John chapter 4, uh, the woman at the well. So I'll kind of go with a little bit of a nickname of the Samaritan woman, Nicodemus. We're just calling it New Shoes for Nick and Sam, and hopefully that will, will work okay for you. It's been neat to see how Jesus customizes everything. Now, with my dad in a nursing home just up the road a little bit, at 95 years old, thankful he's doing good, I get a chance to be up there at least five or six times a week and check on him uh, and trying to make sure he's all right. Uh, he's, he's had a little thing. I've found that sometimes... Uh, Habits die really hard. It's really, they're hard to get rid of. So with a, a little bit of the season coming on, there might be a little more fall allergy. Uh, take a picture and see what I got for him. Uh, as he's chugging back a Diet Coke, I found one of the best things you can do for somebody with a runny nose is give him a wristband. Have anybody known that? You, you, you didn't know that. Okay, we probably won't do this at the 1130. But anyway, I thought it was kind of good, you know, breaking with that habit of once in a while, you know, to use that to, as a Kleenex. So I got him an assorted pack the other day to make sure he's ready for anything. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, the black and the, uh, uh, the silver are for formal wear, okay, just in case that happens. But as I was thinking about that, I thought how neat it is that Jesus customizes, and, and, and every person that we've encountered, whether it was the demon-possessed man or Mary and Martha last week, from no shoes to work boots to whatever it might be, he always sees what we're wearing and what, what our thinking, where our faith is, things that we need, and he gives us what we need to follow him, understand him, and accept what he's done for us on the cross. 
Now, we want to take a moment, and if you want to turn your in the Bible to John chapter 3, I'll be walking through that hit and miss. I'll read a few verses, and then one will appear on the screen. So you don't have to, but if you do on your, on your mobile device, got that, it's in John 3. And I'm out of a New Living Translation is what I primarily kind of go out, out of right now. But we'll take a moment and, and look at Nicodemus. He's over here on this side. Now, to give a little bit of a background, understand he's a Pharisee. And every religious leader Pharisee was into judgment. They would pass judgment and they would say, here's where you're messed up. Here's where you're out of line. And never really looking at themselves. So the pair of shoes I got for him that a friend gave to me is is, uh, some Adidas red velvet throwback classics right out of the box, all right? How many know you would look cool in a pair of these one day? You really wouldn't. But but anyway, it's nice to think about it. (laughs) So that's on that side, and we'll get to the woman at the well, but in all honesty, what represented her was uh, a a little bit of the, uh, these these are kind of old, worn out ladies' shoes. These are ones that uh, I I had to borrow from Sue Lynn. I said, honey, can I borrow your mowing shoes, you know? Any ladies got yard work shoes, you know? They're they're good until they're not good, and then they're yard stuff. That's the kind of shoes that she had, and what this represents just as the uh, Pharisee, as Nicodemus, uh, represented the, the gavel in judgment, this represents she was thirsty. She was thirsty relationally. She was thirsty uh, biologically. And she met Jesus at a well. And she was carrying a, a jar to carry water back home. And that's, that's the context of those two. Now, let's start with Nick. And let me read a few verses, and then I'll have you join me uh, in one just a moment. It says in chapter 3, there's a man named Nicodemus, Jewish religious leader, who's a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, it sounds kind of like he's sucking up to Jesus. It sounds like he's saying, hey, Jesus, we all know. He calls him rabbi. It wasn't that he was overdoing it as much, but he was was exaggerating a little bit because everybody did not feel that, at least in the men in black, the Pharisees with the long robes. They weren't the ones who all felt that way. They didn't like Jesus at all. So he's beginning to break ranks from the Pharisees in approaching Jesus. Now, uh, read along with me in verse 3 as it appears. Okay, let's say it out loud. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, that's a fine how do you do. <laughs> here, here he's being nice and saying, we want to know a little more, and uh, everybody is really on your side. And Jesus automatically says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, let me continue with this conversation before we get to the next slide. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? (laughs) How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, rule keepers don't like any internal change. Because they keep the rules and they do things just right, whether they want to or not. Kind of like the older brother in the prodigal son story. He kept the rules. He just had no relationship with his father, no relationship with his brother. And here today, as as Nicodemus is approaching Jesus, 
Jesus begins to teach. Now, pick up with me and read and follow along and, and say with me, if you would, as, as verse 8 comes about, because here's where he begins to help Nicodemus and us today understand the importance of, of, of the spirit life. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So he's saying, okay, Nicodemus, it's going to be hard. So you're, you're you know, prancing around in your pretty red shoes, and you're a great religious leader, and you got the gavel to tell everybody else where they're wrong. He says, but I'm letting you know this is something that happens on the inside. Following me is going to be something that it, it wells up within you, and, and, and all of a sudden you begin to understand who I am, and it's the work of God's Spirit. And God's Spirit blows like the wind. You can't say, here it is, there it is. You, you have to let the Spirit of God do what he's going to do. Well, Nicodemus, well, how are these things possible, he says. And Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one's ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, this next verse we're going to read together in a moment, as it'll appear is the most famous one, practically, okay? 23rd Psalm is kind of close, all right? But it's in this context that John 3, 16 is spoken. It's in the confrontation of telling someone who thought they were more religious than they really were, someone who had a gavel in their hand and was legalistic, I'm doing fine, I'm making it to heaven, sorry about your luck, because you're not that good. It's in that context that Jesus said these words. Say them with me if you would. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now let's go on to the next verse, which is very important. Let's say that one. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He says you've got to understand, Nicodemus, I am being sent into the world to save, not to judge. So at some point, Nick, you got to put the gavel down. Put the, the pretense of being fine the way you are down. And let the Spirit of God do work in your heart. Now at that point, you, you would think he would have said, Oh my, I've missed this whole thing. Thanks for straightening me out. But he doesn't say anything else. He just has one of those, ah. Everybody give me your best, ah. Okay. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He, he's saying, I'm trying to figure this out. But now you're telling me all the rules and all the judgment and being better than other people and looking down upon them and guarding the gates of heaven on your behalf is not what it's about. It's about something that has to change in my heart. And Jesus is pretty well saying, yeah, that's it. Now, the cool thing is that's not the end of the Nicodemus story because it goes on. And what happens later on in chapter 7, 
he all of a sudden takes a stand on behalf of Jesus. So you don't know if he's in or not. And then all of a sudden, chapter 7, all the, all the other Pharisees around him, they decide they're going to get rid of Jesus. And here, in just simply in John chapter 7, they begin a plot to kill Jesus. And all of a sudden, he stands up and he says, not on my watch. He literally uh, uh, he stands up to the other Pharisees as they plot to kill Jesus, asking if it's legal to do it this way without a hearing. That's the paraphrase of what went on in that chapter. And he begins to take a stand. But he takes his time. But the reason it takes some time for a Pharisee is because you've got a lot of Pharisees around you. And for some of us who perhaps, like me, grew up in a Pharisaical type of we're a little bit better than that church and that church and that church. Oh, uh, we're not perfect, but we're pretty good, you know. You have to recover from thinking you're all that. How many in your life have ever had to recover from saying, I'm not all that, you know? Uh, and there's about half that will have to figure that out in time, you know? <laughs> there, there's something about that that Jesus lets him see, but he begins to see. And it's a good thing in chapter 7 that he did because you move all the way up to chapter 19. And you see in chapter 19 one of the neatest things. And what happens there is Nicodemus, Nick joins Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, an approaching Pilate for the body of Jesus for burial and provides 75 pounds of perfumed ointment. That, that's very significant because what he did, he began to follow Jesus slowly. He took a stand, had a conversation, took a stand, and then he bet the farm. Because the, the Pharisees could have killed him for that, defecting, having anything to do with Jesus after the crucifixion. Pilate could have said, I want this whole thing to go away, so I'll make the two of you quietly to go away, and we'll get rid of the body some other, but he didn't do that. He was slow in his conviction, but he, he came to a conviction. Now, to move to the next chapter, we'll leave Nicodemus, and we'll move over here to this gal in these mowing shoes publicly, all right? And here she's going, she's taking this water jug. She comes at noon, the Bible says. Let's move to John chapter 4, not too far away, just the very next chapter. And it simply says, let me kind of run through part of it. The basic is, part is that Jesus decides to go through Samaria. And Samaritan people were partly Jewish and partly Gentile. They were uh, racially blended and they were hated by the Jews, hated by the Gentiles because they're half and half. And understanding that, you, you can realize that they, they do have Jewish roots and they have a Jewish faith, but they're always pushed out by the Jewish people. So what basically happens is uh, the disciples, they go get something to eat. They're going to meet up with Jesus later. And he intentionally goes through Samaria. So he's going to go through a territory that, you know, he's not going to, at a glance, they'll see he's Jewish. He's not going to be really welcome. And he goes into a well. She's the only gal at the well in the heat of the day at the sixth hour, which would have been noon. So she didn't want to deal with the heat of the other ladies. We'll find out why in a moment. Some of you already know. And she meets Jesus there. And they have this conversation. Listen to kind of how it goes. He just comes up to her, and he's at a well just by himself. He doesn't have anything. She's there with the jar, and he says, uh, can you give me a drink, please? And she's taken back, and she says, wait a second. You're Jewish. You all don't talk to us. You blank us every time. You walk on by. You don't acknowledge us. You show us no respect. And this conversation begins. And it's not disrespectful, but it's honest. She comes with honesty. Jesus comes with honesty. 
All of a sudden, Jesus says, well, if you knew the kind of the gift that God has for you and you knew who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you some living water. She said, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. You did not come prepared for this today, all right? You're just mooching a drink, and you're probably hitting on me anyway, so what's this all about? And she goes ahead and says, besides, you're here at Jacob's well. Jacob is our ancestor. She's trying to claim a little Jewish heritage, even though, again, that's been pushed away. But she's identifying as a believer in Yahweh, in God, Jehovah. All of a sudden, she says, do you think this water that you say you have is going to be better than our ancestor right here at Jacob's well? Now, here's where a couple of verses come in to follow along with me. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Okay, he gets to the point really quick, and he says, look, I know you're kind of lonely, and, and I'm here, and I've had this honest conversation, and you can give me a drink, but in all honesty, if you trust me, if you listen to me, I'll give you something that'll be better than that, and the water will well up within you, and you won't have to come back to this well in the heat of the day because you don't want to be here anyway, sociologically, because of, we'll find out in a moment what was all going on. And she's in, and she just says, please, sir, give me some of the water that you got because I don't want to come back here. I don't want to jump through these hoops. I don't want to have to have other people stare me down, push me aside. Here I am in my mowing shoes, and I feel bad anyway, all right? And she just literally says, I want what you're offering today. Beautiful, beautiful moment. So Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. Okay, well, we got a situation here, all right? And she says, I have no husband, both being very honest. And I love what Jesus does there. He doesn't say, and you should be ashamed of yourself. He does not say, well, you better go straighten that out before we can talk any further, I'll tell you that. He doesn't do any of that at all. He said, you told me the truth. He said, because the truth is you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with right now, you're not married to. So you're being honest. And he almost high fives her for just being honest with him. And then she says, I can tell you're a prophet. <laughs> okay. Who would have known that a stranger, you know, and I hadn't posted it on Facebook of multiple relationships that didn't work out. How in the world did you know this about me? And she doesn't get caught in that. She doesn't get caught in all the drama that could have gone on. But what is absolutely incredible, what she does do, is she begins this conversation. You must be a prophet, in verse 20. So, so tell me why. She realizes she has access to a spiritually deep person. She says, you tell me why, please. Tell me why. That Jerusalem's the only place of worship when we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. And Jesus says, believe me, dear woman, the time's coming where it no longer matters where you worship the Father, this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. We Jews know all about him because salvation comes through the Jews. Not the Samaritans, not the Gentiles, through the Jews. 
But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, follow along with me for the next couple of verses, all right? It's incredible. The woman then says, okay, you got me there. <laughs> you're engaging, you're, you're letting me know I'm not that far removed. You're a Jewish person that's letting, recognizing my faith. It's the first time I've felt any kind of respect. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, that would be me. I am the Messiah. Now, the rest of the story is kind of cool. She leaves her jar at the well, goes back home, tells the whole town about Jesus, and they all believe. An incredible moment. Two totally different kinds of stories. A person who had to let go of the judgment, legalistic, I'm better than everybody else factor, and a gal who, when she came in contact with Jesus, believed him so much she leaves this behind, and she goes to tell everybody she knows. Now, work with me on the contrast. Here's where we might want to write a thing or two down if you want to. The contrast is really simple. Nick was a religious leader. She was a marital disaster. The problem sometimes with religious leaders, they're not very religious on the inside. And the misconception about someone who has had a failed marriage is sometimes people don't think they are. I have met many a religious leader who was not as holy as they wanted me to think, and I have found many people who were broken who were very close to God. Amen? Have you found that to be true? See, we, we, we've got to understand that you, you can't always look on the outside and see what that's about. Now, the second contrast is, is Nicodemus was very judgmental, and yet the Samaritan woman, Sam, she's kind of she's tribal, all right? She just has this identity of, but yeah, here's who we are, but she had to have an identity. Jews didn't accept them. Gentiles didn't accept them. We're, we're half and half. We're Samaritan. She had to hold on to a little bit of our identity. Now, I have found in my life in, in the kingdom of God, I've had to get over our identity as part of an independent Christian church, all right? Most of us are taught, if we grew up in the church, to be really fully identified and loyal, and if you're Catholic, you're Catholic, and you stay that way. If you're Methodist, if you're Baptist, if you're Pentecostal, if you're independent Christian church, I want on the count of three, everybody just say very briefly, uh, you know, in a word or a phrase, the type of church you grew up in, or if you didn't grow up in, just, just say, nothing, honey, okay? <laughs> right, just, just say that really, real quick on the count of three. One, two, three, and a bit of, okay, that, that's a mess out there, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> And you know the contrast on the count of three, just say the name that is above every name, the name by which we can be saved. One, two, three, Jesus. Far more unifying. We even do that when we interview people for staff positions. We'll just say, tell us about your tribe. Because if you're really Baptist, way Baptist, you're going to be frustrated here. It, <laughs> If you're territorial charismatic, you're going to be frustrated here, okay? If you're recovering from anything, or in all honesty, looking at our own root system, independent Christian churches, if you're too loyal to that and think this is the only kind of New Testament work, oh, that ain't going to work. 
We have to become kingdom people, amen? Those are the shoes I got to wear, you got to wear, we all got to wear, regardless of what our, our memory, Protestant or Catholic or whatever it might be, before us. And they both had to get over that. Now, the next contrast is he needed information and she needed conversation. What do you need today? He needed some cog- cognitive information. Guide me, Jesus. Help me understand. Born again, unpack that. Translate that. Help me understand. Because I've been a rule keeper all my life, and you're either in or you're out. Help me understand this internal thing. And she had been rejected all of her life, and now she's being treated with respect, relational respect. He needed information. She needed conversation. Now, the fourth contrast is, I reverse it a little bit, and that is that Jesus got in Sam's space, came close to her, talked with her, but he got in, in Nick's face. You see, before this is all over, Nicodemus had John 3.16 tattooed on his forehead. Jesus just, he just hits him hard. He has a little flattery kind of a moment. Hey, we're all for you, big guy. And then uh, Jesus says, yeah, but, but you're not born again. You better be that. And here's how the Spirit does it. Oh, well, how? Well, why? Well, what? And he just he gets, gets hit. Uh, anybody ever have carpenter bees, carpenter bees on your deck? And they kind of burrow that hole in there. You had sawdust. And you think, okay, I don't remember drilling a hole there. I guess they did. Well, I, we had that on our deck not long ago. Matter of fact, every place we've had a deck, we've had carpenter bees. I usually carry a little, a little uh, spray can, you know, zing them when I can and see them. Uh, but we found out that there is a bird that is very fond of the eggs that carpenter bees lay in the little hole in your deck there. Anybody know what kind of bird that is? Woodpecker. Okay. We heard a machine gun go off on our deck the other day. (laughs) You know, I'm just saying, whoa, what's going on here? You know, and that's what it was come out there and it wasn't sawdust. There's chips flying everywhere. Terrible illustration, but that's what Jesus did to Nicodemus, okay? He just hammered him. He said, you got to get this. i got to get through to you because if I get through to you in your cute little red shoes, you're going to lay your gavel down, case dismissed. He had to be able to do that. And the question, of course, is does Jesus need to get in our space today, come along next to us, or does he have to hammer a little bit? Only you know. He's had to do both with me at different times. The next one's coming. I just don't know which it is. That's what he does. He meets us where we are, and he takes care of the need that we have. Now, the the, the last one is, one got a famous verse. Nick could walk around with John 3, 16, and the woman at the well, Sam, she could realize that she got the longest talk anybody had with Jesus in Scripture. It's incredible conversation, back and forth, respectful, directed, and, and victorious, and uh, at the end of, of discerning what is really mattering. Now, the question would be, what is Jesus' gift to you and me today? We have to take a look and say, am I religious, but I need to understand the role of God's Spirit? Or maybe have I been wounded so much, but I need to be reminded I'm not far from God if my heart isn't. Are are we judgmental or are we tribal? Do we need information or do we need conversation from Jesus? Is he just getting in our space or do we need to allow him 
to get in our face. I, I asked uh, um, Michael, uh, who owns Pacers and Racers, if I could use just what they do, because that's what I see, Pacers and Racers. He takes his time. He's a slow train coming. She's on to the next decision, you know. That's what kind of got her was the impulse aisle with the guys for a while. Some of us take our time. Some of us hurry up. And Michael had told me, I'd seen it several times at their Pacer and Racer shoe store, is to see what they do. They just don't say, you want red, blue, color, what, what do you want? Give us a size. They say, oh, no, let us see you walk. <laughs> Let's see you walk here for a while. And we'll know, are you rolling in? Are you rolling out? Or are you need a little neutralization? You need a little, or you're like me, you will have new balance tattooed on your arch until the day you die. You're going to have to have some kind of arch. What is it that you need? Because in all honesty, that's pretty much what Jesus does for us. He lets us walk. And he tells us, as he walks with us, what we need. And at this point, I need a guitar to end the sermon, okay? Which usually happens. There's something about understanding that we all have a different pace. How many, just at a glance, would say, you know what? I'm a little more analytical. I identify with somebody who takes their time in a decision. How many takes? Okay, we're going to give you another 15 seconds on that, okay? Now, that's, that's all right. That's all right. How many say, okay, I kind of jump to conclusions, oh, maybe once or twice, you know? Okay, yeah, oh, notice how quick they raise their hand. It's great. There's, there, there's something about the difference. And as we get ready after this little thing for our invitation, I want you to just think about that and try to identify maybe where you are, but allow me or indulge me on maybe what Nick would have felt like and what Sam would have felt like as they had this encounter with Jesus. And, of course, it's, um, Nick and Sam were both out of the 70s, so that'll make sense, okay? Here's his view. Well, I'm a pacer, not a racer. I'm a deep truth chaser. I talk with Jesus late at night I'm religious and ambitious But I'm just a little bit suspicious I want to get my facts just right So he was, he took a little time it Took a little while, but all of a sudden he got it He was a teaching, he went to preaching And his words started reaching Helping my heart understand That the Spirit flows like the wind blows Till everybody knows We all need to be born again Whatever that means And that was the whole problem. He couldn't resolve that. He, it just didn't quite make sense. So he ends his song with that chord. It's called an open D or a D2. It's not resolved with the third in there. And it's not frilly like, you know, and it's not a moonlight lounge chord. Who you you? It's none of that stuff. It's just open, just kind of, again, it's that look. Now, everybody give me that puppy dog look, head to the side like I don't get it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I still don't get half what he's talking about. But there came a time in chapter 7 when the men in black came around him and said, we're going to get rid of Jesus. And he said, not on my watch, 
because this is not right. And he resolves. And then it was easy to resolve and still stay resolved when he went with Joseph of Arimathea for the body of Jesus. What a great legacy. Now, Sam, <laughs> she's got her headphones on and her hoodies up, and she's, same song, same pace, but different feel. Well, I'm a racer, not a pacer, and I ain't no husband chaser. Like all the ladies say I am We had a drink, he made me think And then my heart began to sink Cause Jesus loved me as I am I hope I don't get in trouble over this, okay? But if you can get through the 9.45, you can get it through the 11.30, I'll tell you that. All of a sudden she began to figure this out, that he's treating her with this holy respect, and she's on board. So she just kind of responds, he's the one, he's the son, he told me everything I'd done, why is he saying all this to me? I'll tell the town while he's around about the new life I found, he's the one who set me free. I know what that means I know what that means So she ends hers All righty Taking that off and I messed this whole thing up Help me out Sam, there we go Are we back? Are we back? It's in. Okay, sorry about that. Now, I tell you all that to just let you know. <laughs> the more time I have in a sermon, that stuff just comes up. I don't know why. I don't know. Nathan put me on quick so I don't come up with something too flaky on that. But we all, I hope, can identify in one way or the other. The question now is, before our invitation, what kind of shoes? What kind of shoes replace a religious leader who is quick to judge, pretty proud of himself. And Jesus says, you must be born again, and baby needs a new pair of shoes, all right? Classic Reeboks. All of us who think that we're really all grown up spiritually, we just need to say, no, I need to start with Jesus all over again. Now, for Sam over here, Time to take these mowing shoes to mustard seed. Let somebody have them, you know. And he simply says, I don't care what you have done. I don't care how bad you feel. In my eyes, you're brand new. Brand new. And my hope today is that as Sam sings this song for us, with us, over us, the invitation for you to say, I just don't want to go another day further, not having acknowledged who he is. It took Nick a while to get there. Didn't take her a minute. 
We'll have folks that are up on the side. We got folks backstage for whatever decision you need to make spiritually today. But we loved baptizing a few folks last night. And it is a moment that you decide, you decide. I'm not here to hotwire anybody into the kingdom of God. But God forgive me if I don't let you know how critical this is. It's the big difference of eternity whether we acknowledge, whether we surrender our heart and our life to him. So I invite you to stand. And I invite you to come forward as we sing. And it's okay to come forward even after everybody's sung. I know sometimes it feels like if, if you do that, you're swimming upstream. People are leaving and you're trying to come down. We're here. We're here. We're here. But if God is speaking to your heart in this moment, let him speak loudly. Have the conversation, take the stand, and bet the farm because he's waiting for you. Let's sing.